When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 177 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. It is good to be back, people. I've been gone for what seems like forever. I appreciate everybody's patience as I obviously took some time to cap off what was a busy summer, one episode two weeks ago, one episode last week. I appreciate everybody's patience as, like I said, I did a little bit of traveling, but now the good news, I am back. Two episodes this week, two episodes next week, two episodes basically from now until the end of time. I love doing this show. I missed all of you. Thank you all so much, all of you who reached out, who took the time to check in, to say I hope you have safe travels, I hope you have a good trip. I had a great trip, uh, spent a few days in Hawaii, so thank you to everybody who reached out. Also, special shout out to a listener of the show, Brandon, who's actually on his honeymoon in Hawaii right now, literally staying right down the street from where I was in Maui, so shout out to Brandon. Don't even know if you'll hear this, I hope you're enjoying your honeymoon I enjoyed mine, I enjoyed my getaway, and I am glad to be back. So much to get into. Week one of college football is in the books. We are going to recap everything, just so everybody knows the schedule going forward. Like I said, two episodes a week, every week. I think in general, Nick Coffey will probably join me on Sunday nights to recap the weekend going into Monday. This is a little bit of a different week because one, obviously, with Labor Day, There are games going on. More importantly, the team that Nick most closely covers, Louisville, is actually playing on Labor Day evening. So he will not join me today. I will give you a quick recap of everything that I saw. And then, obviously, going into the weekend, we'll preview games. We'll try to get guests on. Later this week, I believe Jacob Hester from uh, SiriusXM Radio, former LSU football player, I believe he's going to join me. Jacob's awesome. He... um, He has kind of an incredible backstory. He was actually recruited to LSU by Nick Saban, played for Nick Saban, and then was part of the national championship team under Les Miles. So he's got a lot of good stories. He'll join me later in the week to preview LSU Texas and just talk college football in general. So again, we're back to two episodes a week. We're back to a normal schedule. No more honeymoons, no more marriages. And if there is another marriage, hopefully it won't be for the very foreseeable future. And it certainly won't be any honeymoons quite like the one I just took. So, And my wife is sitting here as I record this, so there will definitely be no more marriages going forward. Before we get started today's show, I want to remind everybody, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, you can do it on TuneIn Radio. You can do it on Spotify. 
Basically, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Couple new ratings since I came back from vacation. Want to give a quick shout out to my guy, Mark Kinnett, who says, Torres rules, and this is the best podcast going. Mark, I totally agree with you. That is a great comment. Those are the exact kinds of comments that we're looking for. Rate and review the show like Mark just did. Give us a quick five stars. Also, make sure you're following the Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Yeah, that's about it. Also, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. So here's the rundown. I want to talk about a few different things from this weekend. We'll get to the Tennessee meltdown in a minute. I want to start with the Oregon meltdown. We'll talk about Oregon-Auburn, a little bit of Tennessee, a little bit of basically most of the SEC outside of the top couple teams being a complete disaster. And then we'll wrap up with a little Jalen Hurts. We'll wrap up with your boy Hugh Freeze, who I don't know if there was a winner in week one bigger than Hugh Freeze. Forget Auburn. Forget Alabama. Forget Wyoming upsetting Missouri. Forget Georgia Southern, Georgia State, excuse me, upsetting Tennessee. There was no bigger winner than Hugh Freeze, who is the ultimate uh, football guy with uh, coaching from a hospital bed in the press box. Literally unprecedented. There is no one uh, I have more respect for than Hugh Freeze. That was unbelievable. So we'll talk about Hugh Freeze. Maybe even wrap with a quick basketball note. Right after I left, UCLA got a commitment from the number one point guard in the country, Deshaun Nix. Potentially talk about that. We'll see how much time we have left. But I want to start with what was the big story of the weekend, the big game of the weekend, obviously outside Tennessee. Tennessee was probably the biggest story in terms of stuff to talk about. I do want to start with that Oregon-Auburn game, though, because to me, it was a fascinating game. It was a wild game. It was going on as I was on air on Fox Sports Radio Saturday night. And it was just insanity, okay? So, obviously, look, I've spent the last couple weeks, it was the biggest game of the first weekend, and if you listen to this show, I've spent way too much time talking about what it means for both teams. For Auburn, we all know Gus Malzahn's on the hot seat, he loses this game, it's going to be very concerning going forward. Oregon loses this game, it's another knock on the Pac-12, it's another shot at them, potentially missing the playoff again. We'll get into all that in a minute, but I do kind of want to talk about it from both perspectives, but I think the one to start with is Oregon, because of every fan base in America, the only one that should be sicker than Oregon is Tennessee, and I think Oregon even has a case to be more sick than Tennessee for this reason. One, they are a team that has a chance to make the college football playoff. They've been built for this year, and they should have won that game. I mean, you guys watched the game like I did. You don't need me to recap everything minute by minute. But if you watch the game, you know, Oregon was up 14 to 6 at halftime. They were up 21 to 6 midway through the third quarter. And they basically dominated the first three quarters of that game. And so for them to not only get the win, but to lose in the way they did was absolutely devastating. And again, for people who didn't watch the game, let me give kind of a quick rundown, then we'll get into some kind of thoughts and some issues, whatever you whatever you want to call it. So first of all, again, as I mentioned, Oregon was up 14-3 to at halftime, but if you watch the game, it was actually, it should have been much more than that. 14-6, excuse me, they were 14-6 to at halftime, but um, if you watch the game, they should have been up by way more than that, because here was the deal. 
First of all, first possession of the game, Oregon takes the ball down the field, scores a touchdown, 7 nothing. Second possession, Oregon gets the ball back, takes the ball down the length of the field, gets into the red zone. Justin Herbert, who we'll talk about in a minute, I think he's a little bit overrated. We'll get into that. Justin Herbert throws a dart to his wide receiver. It was a little bit off, but certainly catchable. Should have been caught, should have been 14 nothing right off the bat. Oregon, instead, they have to settle for a field goal. They miss the field goal. So all of a sudden, 14-0, stay 7-0. Auburn uh, goes down the field. They kick a field goal, 7-3, blah, 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 blah. And then right before the half, another chance, another opportunity. Oregon, big kickoff return. Length of the field. In the red zone. What happens? Justin Herbert fumbles. Auburn brings it back 83 yards. And another wasted scoring opportunity for Oregon. So realistically, they should have been up 28-3 to going into half. Because, by the way, after they fumbled in the red zone, Auburn takes it 83 yards, they kick a field goal. So instead of that being a score seven points for Auburn, it becomes th- or score seven for Oregon, it becomes three for Auburn. And so all of a sudden, you're looking at what should have been 28-3, to all of a sudden becomes... 14 to 6 at halftime. And so to me, if you're Oregon, you just have to be sick. Because listen, everybody at the end of the game, they did what they do, right? You want to blame Gus Malzahn. You want to blame uh, Mario Cristobal, the head coach of Oregon. You want to say that he misinterpreted or he, he didn't do what he needed to do to win the game. And there were some issues at the end. And a lot of people, again, are critical of Mario Cristobal, the Oregon head coach. They had chances to run down the clock. They chose not to. They were unable to. At the end, Auburn has just enough time to score the game-winning touchdown. Oregon doesn't really get the ball back, doesn't have an opportunity to win the game. And so everybody criticizes Mario Cristobal. I actually don't buy that. First of all, I actually thought Gus Malzahn's decision-making towards the end of the game was actually much more questionable That last play, like it's always funny how this works in sports, right? Gus Malzahn calls for the deep pass. Bo Nix throws the ball. End zone, touchdown. Auburn scores. Auburn wins the game with nine seconds to go. That was actually a terrible play call. Auburn was down 21 to 20 at that point. They were in field goal range. And if Bo Nix scrambles around for too long and takes a sack, there's a chance that one, they're not even in position to kick a field goal, or two, They're in a tougher position to kick a field goal with not very much time left on the clock. And so it's funny how that works, right? Like everybody wants to blame Mario Cristobal. Oh, you know, they let the ball, they let the clock run down too much and this and that. And I'm like, dude, Gus Malzahn wasn't exactly, uh, you know, Vince Lombardi in the final couple seconds either. Now it worked out for Gus Malzahn. Everything worked fine for Gus Malzahn. He's okay. He gets to the victory. He goes to one and oh, nobody's going to blame him. But I'm sitting there saying, man, I don't know. Gus Malzahn didn't look too sharp down the stretch either. But to me, it's not really about Gus Malzahn. It's not really about Mario Cristobal not calling plays correctly or not running off time off the clock correctly or anything like that. It's, to me, Oregon just losing this game in the most crippling way ever. As I mentioned, they were up 14-6 at half. It should have been 28-6. At the very least, they should have kicked two field goals. It should have been 20-6, six points that they could have used later in the game. Instead, they end up allowing Auburn to stay. And by the way, how much does this happen in sports, right? We watch sports all the time. All of us watch games and you let the other team stay in the game. How often do you end up finding a way to lose the game at the end because you could have put them away early and you didn't? And so I feel bad for Oregon more than I feel great about Auburn 
as Oregon had the game won. They completely dominated the game through the first about two and a half quarters. They should have been up by much more. They were controlling the line of scrimmage, this vaunted Auburn defensive line that we've all been talking about all offseason. They might have the best defensive line in college football. They were getting manhandled up front by Oregon. Oregon was doing whatever they wanted. Now, by the end, I think Oregon was worn down a little bit, but again, the game should have been so far out of hand at that point, it shouldn't have mattered. And so I feel bad for Oregon because this was their chance. This was the chance to plant the flag for the Pac-12, who I actually thought didn't have a terrible opening week. I know that everybody wants to crush the Pac-12, but especially after the way things started with Arizona losing at Hawaii, with UCLA losing at Cincinnati, but you look at the Pac-12, I mean, Utah took care of business on the road in a rivalry game against BYU. Washington dominated an inferior team, which based on what we saw from Tennessee and South Carolina and a bunch of other teams, let's not go out of our way here to discredit Washington. And if Oregon wins that game, I think we have a completely different perception of the Pac-12. Of course, they lost the game, and now it's back to, oh, the Pac-12 is terrible. No, I think the, Pac the top three in the Pac-12 is pretty good. After the top three, it gets kind of dicey, but it gets kind of dicey in most conferences. I mean, how good is anybody in the Big 12 right now besides Oklahoma, right? Like, you look at the Big 12, Iowa State almost lost to Northern Iowa, FCS school. Uh, Texas we'll see this weekend. Baylor we'll see in the future. But the point being is that I'm not sold that the Pac-12 is as bad as everybody says it is. We'll get to the SEC in a minute. But this was Oregon's big chance to make a statement, not only for their conference, but for the entire league. They missed. Really quickly, I do want to talk about Auburn's perspective. Oh, one more thought on Oregon, by the way. Justin Herbert. Anyone besides me not really sold that Justin Herbert's like this elite, can't-miss quarterback that everybody wants to make him out to be? I thought it back to last year. I remember seeing him at Pac-12 Media Day last year. And first of all, the guy looks like he's about 11 years old, or at least he did at the time. Maybe he looks different now. But And I remember thinking people were talking about him even then as a potential number one pick in the draft. And I said, eh, first of all, he's not very big. Like, he's not physically – he's tall, but stature-wise, he's not just this big, physical, uh, tough-looking guy that could take hits. But he looks like a baby. He looks like he's 11 years old. And I remember thinking at the time, like, man, I just can't imagine that dude – walking into an NFL locker room as the number one overall pick and completely commanding the huddle and commanding the locker room. Now, it's different when you're Kyler Murray and you have transcendent skill. Justin Herbert doesn't look like a star, and I don't think he plays like a star. He finished with 242 yards passing, one touchdown pass, which came early in the first quarter. And I'm just sitting there saying, if you're supposed to be a can't-miss guy, if you're supposed to be the number one overall pick in the draft, you got to be better than Justin Herbert was the other day, don't you? I mean, you look at what Tua did against Duke. You look at what Jalen Hurts did against uh, Houston, and we'll get into Jalen Hurts in a little bit. You look at Jake Fromm, whoever you want. I mean, those guys take care of business in big game against good opposition. Justin Herbert doesn't really do that. So that's one, maybe he'll change my mind, but we've now seen about two and a half seasons or two, in, two seasons and change of Justin Herbert. I haven't been impressed that this guy is a can't-miss quarterback. It seems like we always get a couple of these every year early in the season. Oh, this guy's incredible. And then by the end of the season, we're like, eh, he's all right. So that's how I feel about Justin Herbert. From the Auburn perspective, I'll tell you this, right? Because the thing is, Auburn wins this game. And I, like I said, everybody wants to make these big sweeping, oh my God, Oregon and the Pac-12 are terrible. Auburn, they're great. I'm not sold on Auburn at all, man. I don't know how you guys feel, but from my perspective, the way I see it with Auburn is this. They were lucky to survive. 
I thought the defense was good. I didn't think it was this elite, transcendent defense. And the Bo Nix kid, the freshman quarterback, look, I get he's a true freshman. I get he was in high school last year. I get that it's going to take time for him to figure it out. The problem is his head coach doesn't have time, and the schedule is unforgiving. If you haven't seen Auburn's schedule, check this out. They play at Texas A&M, at Florida, at LSU, and then they close the season, two of their final three games, Georgia at home, Alabama at home. Bo Nix is fine. He's okay. But you mean to tell me he's ready to go head-to-head with Tua in the Iron Bowl? You mean to tell me he's ready to go head-to-head with Jake Fromm against Georgia? You mean to tell me he's ready to go to Florida and win the game in the Swamp or LSU at night? I don't buy it. Texas A&M, Kyle Field, 12th. I don't buy it. And so with Auburn, like, I get that it was a nice win and I get that this is what we do, and I'm, I myself included too. Like sometimes I make overreactions to certain things. I don't buy Auburn. I, I thought they were 7-5 and five coming into the year. I still think they're 7-5 and five coming into the year. Even though they win this game, it makes me feel less good because I thought at the very least they'd be able to dominate the lines of scrimmage. They'd be able to control the, the you know, they'd be able to run the ball if they needed to. They'd be able to limit Oregon at least, uh, you know, running the ball, and they weren't. And so now I'm looking at it like, The things that I thought they did good, they don't do as well as I thought, and my concerns are just the same as they were coming into the season, which is true freshman at quarterback Gus Malzahn as a play caller. So that was probably the big game of the weekend, the game that I kind of wanted to jump off off the top and talk a lot about. So Oregon loses. Bad, bad, bad loss for Oregon. Nice win for Auburn, but I am not sold. All right, so now let's get to... The dumpster fire of the weekend. Get the dumpster fire gifts going here. It is, of course, your Tennessee Vols. Tennessee, the program, the once mighty Tennessee Vols. General Robert Neeland, Phil Fulmer, Peyton Manning, T. Martin National Championship, Albert Hainsworth, Jamal Lewis, Tennessee The team that when I was a kid, they were equivalent to when I first came up watching college football. Tennessee was basically what Oklahoma is now, what Ohio State is now, what Clemson is now, maybe not quite Alabama, but they were basically the equivalent of what Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, whoever was right now, which is this, perennial, not even in a conversation, a perennial Top five team, top five program every year in the hunt for a national championship. 98, they win the national championship with T. Martin. A couple other times, they're in the hunt right up until the end. I believe it was 2001. If they win the SEC championship game, they're playing in the national championship against Miami. They end up losing, but they finished like third or fourth in the country. They went to Orange Bowls and Fiesta Bowls. And now look at Tennessee. The mighty Tennessee Vols lost to Georgia State. And by the way, quick quick side note. I'm going to say Georgia Southern at least like three times in this conversation because I've said Georgia Southern a bunch. I actually tweeted it out. I said something about Tennessee losing to Georgia Southern. Tennessee fans got mad at me. We didn't lose to Georgia Southern. We lost to Georgia State. 
I don't really care which directional college from Georgia you lost to. You lost to Georgia State, okay? I don't care if it's Georgia State, Georgia Southern, Georgia Women's College, Georgia, uh, you know, Georgia, I don't want to say Georgia Tech because Georgia Tech's a real school. You lost to Georgia State. Don't give me that, oh, uh, we didn't lose to Georgia Southern. I don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. Shut up. You lost to Georgia State. I don't care which directional school you lost to. You lost to Georgia State. And I'll say this. Look, this Tennessee downfall has been going on for a while. It started, they fire Fulmer. I think it's easy to say with revisionist history they shouldn't have fired Fulmer. I get it. But the, the program was on the downswing. You have to remember that at the time, Urban Meyer was coming off a national championship at Florida, had just won a second national championship in Fulmer's last year, 2008. Nick Saban has arrived at Alabama. That program has turned around, and Tennessee wants to feel relevant nationally, right? They're like, dude, you know, going 9-3 and three is fine, but if we're getting our butts kicked by our two biggest rivals – then like it doesn't matter. Like we, we just want to be re- we 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 need to be in the national championship conversation, and we're not because Florida's got Urban Meyer, Alabama's got Nick Saban, we got Phil Fulmer. So they let Phil Fulmer go. The Lane Kiffin thing, I actually think in hindsight, Lane Kiffin probably wasn't as bad as people remember. Went seven and six. Uh, I think he went seven and six, maybe seven and five, eight and five, something like that. They beat South Carolina. They they had some good wins, but he leaves. The Derek Dooley thing is a disaster. Derek Dooley should never got the job. The Butch Jones thing is a disaster. Butch Jones was overrated. He obviously couldn't handle the situation. Now you got this Jeremy Pruitt guy. I believe in Jeremy Pruitt. Like, Jeremy Pruitt, like, you don't go from being a high school head coach to an SEC head coach in a decade unless you know what you're doing. But it's hard for me to defend a guy like Jeremy Pruitt on a day like today when Tennessee is coming off a loss to Georgia State. And so to me, this is without a question – the biggest, most shocking result of the weekend. Because I really felt like Tennessee, they were making the right steps. You look at Tennessee even last year under Pruitt. They had some moments. They won at Auburn. They beat a Kentucky team which won 10 games. So let's not act as though Tennessee was a complete dumpster fire last year. So you have the momentum from 5-7. and seven. I was talking to people in Knoxville. They felt like at the very least... We're going 7-5, and five, going to a bowl game. Maybe if things break right, we go 8-4. and four. We win all the games we're supposed to. And instead, they lose to Georgia State. I think the most disappointing thing, too, for a Tennessee fan, and I know there's some that listen to this show, what stood out to me, what stood out to a lot of people, what struck me, there was no weird anomaly about this game, right? Like, if, if you look at, if you watch this game, and I was watching this game, of course, in the 3.30 window on Saturday, there wasn't much else on other than that Alabama game. If you watch this game, it wasn't like anything crazy happened. It's not like Georgia State has, it has like some future NFL quarterback and he threw for 600 yards. It's not like Tennessee turned the ball over seven times, twice in the red zone when they were driving. Like, Tennessee, like, Georgia State was kind of just as good as Tennessee was. And so that was what stood out to me, and that is why I think the frustration from Tennessee fans is at an all-time high. I'm not excusing them. I'm not apologizing for them. But I'll tell you this. I feel kind of bad for Tennessee fans. And it was really funny to see some reaction about this on my social media on Saturday because on my Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, I said something to the effect of, like, Dude, I, I'm sorry. I'm not even a Tennessee fan, 
But I feel bad for Tennessee. I mean, think about everything that's happened at Tennessee over the last decade. I kind of referenced some of it, but Lane Kiffin leaves in the middle of the night under the cloak of darkness to take the USC job. All of a sudden, there's riots on campus. It's insanity, whatever. Then you get Derek Dooley. Derek Dooley's just a really bad coach, but like the comedy that came with it, right? For people who don't remember, what was it? He got hurt, like he got injured on the sidelines, and he had to coach a game from a stool. And then you get Butch Jones, and you got the trash can, and now you lose to Georgia State. And so it's just one, it's just one low after another, after another, after another. No matter how bad you think it gets, it somehow gets worse. I mean, understand, if you're a Tennessee fan, it's one thing if you get smoked by Bama. Okay, they're a national championship contender. It's one thing if you lose to Georgia or Florida. You're, you're frustrated, but you're kind of like, okay, we're making the right steps. We're doing what we have to do. We'll get those guys eventually. But to lose to Georgia State, to lose after an offseason where it felt like there was finally momentum going in the right direction. One of their best players, Trey Smith, gets cleared to play medically right before the start of the season. One of their best players, a transfer named Aubrey Solomon, gets cleared by the NCAA to play right away after they thought he was going to have to sit out. All the momentum's coming into this game, and then you lose to Georgia State. And so to me, I do feel bad for Tennessee fans. I said it on social media. I just feel bad. Like, I don't think any fan base deserves what they have gone through over the last 10 or 15 years, right? Like, like it's one thing, and I know I'm going a lot of different directions here, but this Tennessee thing is so insane. Like, it's one thing if you're Vanderbilt or you're Indiana football or you're Oregon State football, and you've really had no highs. Like, it's easier to, to go 2-10 and 10 or to go 4-8 and eight if you're Oregon State if you've never really tasted real success. Now, I know Oregon State went to like a Fiesta Bowl, you know, in 2001 or whatever, but it's not like Oregon State was a national power, was year in, year out competing for national championships. Tennessee was. And so for that program to deal with what they've dealt with over the last 10 years, I actually feel bad for them. Now, I know a lot of you feel differently. A lot of Kentucky fans listen to this show. Kentucky and Tennessee are big rivals. A lot of Bama fans listen to this show. Bama fans remember what it was like pre-Saban, when Phil Fulmer was beefing with Alabama. So Alabama fans, I get it. You don't feel bad for them. Georgia fans, I get it. You don't feel bad for Tennessee. Kentucky fans, I get it. You don't feel bad for Tennessee. But me, I feel a little bad for Tennessee. I don't think any program deserves what Tennessee has gone through the last couple years, not just because they're losing games, but because of how high they were and how embarrassing the lows have been. Like I said, it's one thing if you're Oregon State, you just go 2-10. and 10. It's another thing... When Lane Kiffin leaves under the cloak of darkness, when Butch Jones has a little trash, <laughs> I'm sorry, I started thinking about Butch Jones's trash can as I was talking about it. When Butch Jones has his trash can, when Derek Dooley's coaching in his stool, I mean, it's just one thing after the other, after the other with the University of Tennessee. Listen, I hope they get this thing turned around quickly. Tennessee football is a lot like Indiana basketball. I do think it'd be good for the sport of college football if Tennessee was was relevant. I think it'd be good for the SEC if Tennessee was really good again. Listen, you can't tell me that a stadium that seats 100,000 people, it's not going to be good for college football when there's 100,000 people yelling and screaming, wearing orange and, and white uh, on Rocky Top. So I hope they get it figured out. I don't think they will. This is obviously, th- this weekend right here for Tennessee, by, by the way, they play BYU at home. Like, this is the weekend right here. You have to win this game. I think they're a three-point favorite. You got to win this game 
because you got Florida in two weeks. You got Georgia by the middle of October, and you, of course, have Alabama by the middle of October. And it could it could just go completely off the rails real quick. So I feel bad for Tennessee. We'll see if they can turn things around this week at BYU. I'll probably talk about that game a little bit on Thursday's show. All right, I want to wrap with a couple more topics from the weekend. First of all, Tennessee was kind of a microcosm for the entire SEC this year, right? Like, like, or the t- this weekend, right? Like, like we spent so much time on Thursday talking about, oh, the Pac-12 is so terrible. UCLA lost to Cincinnati. Cincinnati is actually a pretty good team. And so every conference is going to take bad losses. But the volume of them from the SEC was pretty unbelievable. For people who are scoring at home, here's what you need to know about the SEC this weekend. We just talked about Tennessee losing to Georgia State. Ole Miss lost at Memphis. Now look, Ole Miss isn't very good. Memphis is actually pretty good. Not a terrible loss, especially on the road. But again, if this was the Pac-12, if the Pac-12's ninth best team or 10th best team went to Memphis and lost, we would talk about it. So we can't just pretend like it doesn't matter that Ole Miss lost. Take it a step further. How about Missouri? Missouri losing at Wyoming. Now again, that's one I will give a little bit of a pass to. People got mad at me for saying this on social media, but here's what you need to know about Missouri. Missouri has maybe the wildest schedule of anyone I've seen in college football this year. So they played on the road in week one at Wyoming. Then they have five straight home games from here. They don't play on the road again until October 19th. October 19th. That's literally, I'm not good at math, but that's like 50 plus days away. And so I'm not forgiving Missouri for losing this game, but it's like, I kind of get it. Wyoming's a weird place to play. It's the highest elevation in college football. It's well above sea level. There's all kinds of issues with just playing at that altitude. Wyoming's hard to get to. Nobody really wants to be there. So I kind of get it from Missouri's perspective, right? Like Missouri's just like, listen, we get through this one. This is coming into the game. But it's like, we get through this one, we'll be okay. We get through this one, we got five straight at home. Problem is they didn't get through that one. So I'm not ready to just flip on Missouri and give up on them for the rest of the season because they lost at Wyoming. Now, South Carolina, let me say this really quick on South Carolina. They lose at they lose to North Carolina, Neutrophile game, whatever. Mac Brown's the head coach, North Carolina, blah, blah, blah. I just want to say this on South Carolina. This will be the, I'm done with South Carolina. I'm done with them. This is the final time I will ever talk about South Carolina on this podcast because I don't think there is a more annoying program in college football than South Carolina. South Carolina is like what? The Cincinnati Bengals of college football? They're, they're like what? The, uh, i trying to think of a college basketball equivalent. They're like, uh, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Maybe Syracuse or something like that. Here's what you need to know. I'm done with South Carolina, never talking about them again on this show because they're the same freaking team every year. They're super boring to watch. Like, it's one thing if you're not good, if you're at least entertaining, right? Like, Houston played uh, Sunday night against Oklahoma. I don't know how good Houston's going to be, but at least they're fun to watch. At least they score some points. At least they have some big plays. South Carolina is boring. So they're boring to watch. They got the same boring head coach they've had for years, Will Muschamp. They got the same boring quarterback, Jake Bentley, who's been there for a thousand years. He's never gotten better. They're not going to win a lot of games. They're not going to beat the teams they're supposed to. They're not going to beat Georgia. They're not going to beat Florida. They're not going to beat Kentucky because they never beat Kentucky. 
I'm just done with – they're not going to be Clemson at the end of the year. I'm just done with South Carolina. It's the last time I – unless lightning strikes Will Muschamp on the sideline, which God forbid, you know, as much as Will Muschamp annoys me, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm done talk. I will never talk about South Carolina on this podcast again. They are so uninteresting to me. I'm done with them. But what I would say overall with the SEC is that I think we learned a very important point about the conference. In addition, by the way, I should mention – in addition to Tennessee losing, Missouri losing, South Carolina losing, Ole Miss losing, Arkansas looked terrible against Portland State. They won, but it's an FCS team, and it was a struggle throughout the game. Mississippi State, they got a bunch of guys suspended because they had tutors writing their papers. Mississippi State didn't look very good. And so the point I want to bring up about the SEC is this. This is just kind of proof that basically it doesn't matter what conference you are. After you get past the second or third team, it's all just kind of a crapshoot, isn't it? Like I brought up the Pac-12 a minute ago, and I put out this tweet earlier this weekend, and people got mad at me for it and all the SEC honks, and I know a lot of you guys are fans of SEC programs, but like the, the, the point that I made was this. is I said, UCLA lost on the road to a really good AAC program, which of course was Cincinnati, and the world freaks out, oh, the Pac-12, this is a disaster for the Pac-12, and then Ole Miss loses to a bad AC, uh, to, uh, a good ACC team on the road, an AAC team on the road, Memphis, and everyone's like, well, you know, Memphis is pretty good, whatever. Like, you can't have it both ways, people, and the point I was trying to make, and I made it poorly, so forgive me, is this, is that... I'm not excusing UCLA. I'm not excusing Ole Miss. I'm not going after Ole Miss. I'm not going after Tennessee or um, South Carolina. Well, I just I said I wouldn't mention them again. So we'll, we'll, we'll skip them. Missouri. I'm not going after those teams. But what I am saying is very much this. Is that from now on, like, let's not judge all of these conferences by the bottom. Because everybody's bottom sucks, right? Like, the Pac-12's bottom is terrible. <laughs> Oregon State's really bad. Uh, UCLA's not good. USC is going to be a disaster again after they lost their starting quarterback. But you know what? Same with the Big 12. What do we really know about the Big 12 besides Oklahoma's going to score a lot of points this year? Not a lot. Not a lot. Even the SEC, where I think the first three teams are really good, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. And I think the next three or four are really good. A&M is in there. I would include Kentucky in there, the way that they played against Toledo. They actually played really well. I watched that game on, on uh, Saturday. Florida, I will include in there. Outside of those, like, like outside of the SEC, those top five, six, the bottom five and six are really bad people. Arkansas is a really bad football team. Ole Miss is a work in progress. Tennessee is, at best, a work in progress. At worst, a really bad football team. I don't think Vandy is very good. I think Mississippi State is going to take another step back this year, and they weren't even very good last year. ACC, by the way, same deal. After Clemson, it's a total crapshoot. Who's good in the ACC? Florida State just lost to Boise. It's not Florida State. Miami lost to Florida. So the point I'm trying to make is let's stop with the overreactions, and let's just admit that in any conference, including the SEC, after you get past those first four or five teams, it is a total crapshoot. All right, a couple more topics. We'll wrap up here. First of all, I want to give a very quick shout-out to Jalen Hurts. So I'm recording here on Monday afternoon, and what I would say, Jalen Hurts, performance of the weekend, let's just give him the Heisman right now. Okay, that's a little bit of hyperbole, but another transfer quarterback at Oklahoma 
another transfer quarterback who looks awesome. Of course, Baker Mayfield came from Texas Tech. They win three straight Big 12 titles. He wins the Heisman as a senior. Last year, Kyler Murray transfers in from Texas A&M. He wins the Heisman. They win the Big 12. They go to the college football playoff. Jalen Hurts, first game. Check out these stats from Jalen Hurts. Like, I almost didn't believe him when I read him back on Monday afternoon as I prepared for this podcast. But this is a guy, 20 of 23 passing for 332 yards and three touchdowns, 16 rushes for 176 yards and three more touchdowns. Only the second player ever to throw for over 300 yards, rush for over 100 yards, and have three rushing touchdowns and three ta- t- three passing touchdowns in the same game. The only other guy to ever do that was Johnny Manziel. By the way, makes us forget. Like, like Johnny Manziel, for everything that he's gone through off the field the last couple years, guy was a really, really good college football player. But back to Jalen Hurts. First off, I would say a couple things. One, I'm so happy for this kid. Do you guys remember everything that this guy went through? I mean, think about the career trajectory of Jalen Hurts. First year wins a national championship at Alabama. They beat Clemson in the national championship game. Second year, they're literally two plays away from winning the national championship. If you remember, that was the year that Deshaun Watson, last play of the game, second to last play of the game, throws a touchdown pass with like four seconds to go. Clemson beats Alabama. Year three is, of course, when he loses the job to Tua uh, in the championship game. So he plays the entire season. Alabama goes 11-1, and They make the national championship game. They beat Clemson in the playoff, by the way. They get to the national championship game against Georgia. Jalen Hurts gets benched. Tua comes in. And, of course, last year he loses the job to Tua, then comes back in the SEC championship game, helps Alabama win the national championship, helps Alabama win the SEC championship. They get to the national championship. They lose there to Clemson. So, first of all, Everything this kid has been through, for him to keep a level head, for him to stick with his team. By the way, in this era where the second a guy loses his starting job, they transfer out. Jalen Hurts stays in Alabama, stays practicing with the first team and against the first team last year, gets his degree, then he decides to move on, and he makes the perfect decision at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley, obviously, look, Lincoln Riley's resume speaks for itself. Uh, Lincoln Riley was just, he's been unbelievable. Lincoln Riley is the new Chip Kelly. He's the new everything that guy touches turns to gold. And Jalen Hurts just looked phenomenal on Sunday night against Houston. Now look, does Oklahoma's defense have some work? Yeah, but I think they're better. I think Oklahoma's really an interesting team. I picked them to play Alabama for the national championship. So I'm happy for Jalen Hurts. Let's also, by the way, give Jalen Hurts a little bit of credit here. right? Like, like, like I tweeted this out. I said something to the effect of, Seeing Jalen Hurts produce the way that he did, one, it makes me happy, but two, um, you know, it makes me realize how good Tua is, right? Like for Tua to beat out Jalen Hurts straight up and to never seriously be challenged again, it speaks to just how incredible Tua actually is. But of course, when I tweeted that, people said, well, Jalen Hurts only looks good because of Lincoln Riley. Well, first of all, that's just a terrible take, so stop. Lincoln Riley is an incredible coach. I just said he's the new Chip Kelly. He's the new Steve Spurrier. Whoever was the offensive innovator of your generation, Lincoln Riley is that guy in 2019. And certainly playing for Lincoln Riley helps. But let's also not forget, Jalen Hurts was SEC Freshman of the Year 
or excuse me, he was SEC Player of the Year as a freshman at Alabama. So it's not as though he couldn't do this or he isn't capable or this is all Lincoln Riley. This is on Jalen Hurts. Be interesting to see going forward. I still think Oklahoma is far and away the best team in the Big 12. We'll get into Texas later in the week when I preview Texas playing uh, LSU this weekend. But I'll tell you this. I think Jalen Hurts is going to right be in the thick of the Heisman conversation. I think that uh, Jalen Hurts and Oklahoma are going to win the Big 12. I think they're going to make the playoff. And I think this week was a great start to the season. Really quick. I got to wrap with one other story. That's your boy, Hugh Freeze. Did you guys see this? By the way, if you, if you haven't seen it, I posted the picture on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. So if you haven't seen this, Hugh Freeze for people who don't know, Hugh Freeze, new head coach at Liberty, was at Ole Miss. We all know what happened there. Got caught calling escorts on, on his uh, school phone. Poor guy, Hugh Freeze. He, he ends up actually having a very serious uh, complication to surgery. I think it was a complication of surgery, but he's been bedridden, and he hasn't been able to be at practice. And so the story starts circulating on Saturday morning that Hugh Freeze will coach the game from a hospital bed. Cool. Sounds good. You know, I, I think that I'm thinking like all you guys, well, you know, hospital bed, okay, cool. So he'll be in the hospital. He'll be watching the game on TV. Maybe he'll call in to <laughs> to to whoever's running the team at halftime. I don't know, like, <laughs> like whatever, whatever. No, Hugh Freeze said screw that plan, Torres, and he literally got a hospital bed put into the press box and he coached the game from the press box in a hospital bed. I've never seen anything like this. Hugh Freeze, I know the um, the part of my take guys who I, I love that podcast. I think they're really good. They do the football guy of the year or whatever. Like Hugh Freeze wins the football guy of the century. I mean, hospital bed in the press box. And by the way, he's got the head. <laughs> I'm, la- I'm, I'm seriously, I'm not faking this laughter. I'm really thinking about it in my head as it happened in real time. So, has the headset on. He gives the team a speech in his hospital bed from Skype before the game. I mean, this was one of the most surreal moments. Listen, it's not an exaggeration. I think it's one of the most surreal moments in the history of college football. A guy coached a game from a hospital bed, people. And so, what I would say to this really quick is a couple things. First off, shout out to Hugh Freeze. Two, I, re- I actually really hope he gets better. Um, it's kind of like, you know, a scary situation, whatever. But three, I mean, we talk about all the time, college football, craziest sport in the world, there's nothing like it, all this, all that, right? We always say stuff like that, and then other sports are like, no, my sport's crazy, da-da-da. And then something crazy happens in college football. Like the head coach of a, of a football program driving his motorcycle into a ditch uh, with his mistress on his backside. That actually did happen. Like a head coach, Hugh Freeze, getting fired for calling escorts on his school-issued phone. He gets fired. But this, like, takes the cake, right? Like, next time you're, next time you're second favorite sport, and I, you guys know I love college, fo- college basketball as well as college football. Next time the NFL or a soccer fan or a baseball fan is like, my sport is so crazy, crazy stuff. Show them a picture of Hugh Freeze in a hospital bed. Because there's nothing crazier that I've ever seen in sports than Hugh Freeze coaching from a hospital bed. 
This guy coached from a hospital bed in a real game. Unbelievable. So shout out to Hugh Freeze. Shout out to our boy Torrent Craig. I think this episode is done for today. So again, quick recap. Going forward, I think Nick Coffey's going to join me on a lot of these Mondays so I don't have to go solo if I don't want to. But I appreciate everybody listening. Um, later this week, the, the rundown is going to be like this, is that every Monday we'll recap what happened during the weekend. Every Thursday we'll kind of preview what's ahead. Obviously, as basketball starts to come about in these next few weeks, we'll start talking basketball again. But that's kind of the rundown. Uh, and that's all for now. We'll try to get some guests on. I got some really good guests lined up. Jacob Hester, as I mentioned, SEC Network, uh, Sirius XM SEC channel. That guy will be joining me in a couple of days to talk LSU Texas, which is the big game going into week two. Obviously, AM Clemson. We'll get into all the big games, all the big conversations here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. But I want to thank you guys for listening. Again, I also, by the way, I want to thank you guys for your patience. Like I said, one episode a week the last two weeks. And you guys were awesome. Again, thank you to all of you who reached out to me, wished me luck on my travels, luck on my honeymoon. We had a great time. Uh, But it is also good to be back here in California focused on football. It was great to have 12 straight hours of football on Saturday in addition to Friday night, Thursday night, Sunday night, Oklahoma-Houston, and of course Monday night with Louisville and Notre Dame. So that is all for tonight. That is all for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you for listening. We're back to two times a week. Make sure to rate and review the show. Uh, first of all, make sure to subscribe. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes. If you have an Android, do it on Podcast Addict. Do it on Podbean. You can do it on TuneIn Radio. You can do it on Spotify. Make sure to rate and review the show. Please give us a quick five stars. If you want to leave a nice comment like Mark Kinnett did, Torres Rules, and this is the best podcast going. Thank you, Mark. Thank you to all of you who have also made comments. Make sure to rate and review, like I said. Follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. I should mention my picks go up every Wednesday on the Aaron Torres podcast Instagram page. Went 5 2 and 1 in week one, so I'm feeling good. Got a little extra coin in my pocket. Also, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Uh, I have a couple questions sitting in the inbox, a couple basketball questions I will get to. Maybe on the next episode, we will see. But I want to thank you guys for downloading. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Hugh Freeze for uh, giving us the entertainment of the weekend. As I said earlier, shout out to my boy Torrent Craig. We will be back later this week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.